It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. New York Post. Monticello is going woke and trashing Thomas Jefferson's good name in the process. The Charlottesville, Virginia home of the founding father and America's third president is one of our best-known national monuments, familiar with its appearance on the nickel since 1938. But the hilltop mansion designed by Jefferson himself, once preserved as a tribute to the author of the Declaration of Independence, now offers visitors a harangue on the horrors of slavery. The whole thing has the feel of propaganda and manipulation. Jeffrey Tucker, founded libertarian Brownstone Institute, and a recent visitor told the Post, people on my tour seem sad and demoralized. The new emphasis is the culmination of a 10-year effort to balance the historical record officials of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation, the nonprofit that owns the estate, have said. But visitors complain that employees go out of their way to belittle Jefferson and his life. The tour guides play besmirchment derby, never missing a chance to defame this brilliant, complex man. Stephen Owen of Enochville, uh, North Carolina, wrote on Facebook. Half of the comments on Jefferson were critical, wrote William Bales of Chester, Virginia, in an online review after visiting in June. Even my 11-year-old daughter noticed the bias. Tucker described his guide last month as surly and dismissive of Jefferson's accomplishments. Someone asked if Jefferson to build a machine in the house, and the guide said, nah, he never built anything. He was just a tinkerer. It was ridiculous. He was the architect of this house and of the University of Virginia. What are you talking about? He replied. Jefferson's life story is full of thorny contradictions, the world's foremost proponent of liberty. who wrote the immortal words, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal was nonetheless a committed slave owner until his death in 1826. That's not 100% correct. They should have added a paragraph here that he was the one who added language in the first draft of the Declaration of Independence about slavery being imposed on the colonies by Britain and that they were going to eliminate it. But North, uh, but uh, South Carolina and uh, Georgia threatened to leave. Anyway, that has made him a prime target for the left, they go on. Last year, a Jefferson statue was unceremoniously booted from the New York City Council's chambers, where it stood for 187 years. In the past, the managers of Monticello sanitized Jefferson's history for the 27 million tourists who have flocked there since it was opened in 1923. References to slavery were few and signs labeled servants' quarters mark sites where Jefferson slaves once lived. I went there many, many years ago. They didn't hide the fact that he had slaves and where the slaves lived. Our goal is to present an honest, inclusive history of Monticello and all its aspects, as well as Jefferson's contributions to the founding of the country, said Jen Lyon, a Monticello spokes idiot. But on a visit this week, the Post found the grievance has become the predominant theme at Monticello. From the ticket booth and the visitor's center decorated with a contemporary painting of Jefferson's weeping slaves to its final gift shop display, and they have photos of it in the article. 
leaving the president's world-famous music room, an octagonal space carefully restored to its 18th-century grandeur and decorated with Gilbert Stewart's original presidential portrait and classic busts, is safe from revisionist disapproval. A grim modern painting of a faceless figure with a a matted black head uh, now looms over the room, positioned so that it directly confronts visitors as they enter the mansion. The huge four-foot-by-five-foot work, now a new addition to Monticello's collection, was, quote, commissioned in honor of Juneteenth last month, said Susan Woodward, the Post Guide on Wednesday. It's quite provocative, I do believe, she added. The figure's hands and face of future Listar represent the faceless lives of all who served in bondage, witnessing but never recognized an identifying card explains. The, the iconocristic artwork is just one of many jarring signs of over-the-top politicization of Jefferson's beloved home. Guides begin the outdoor tours of Monticello's gardens and grounds by invoking the Native Americans who once lived on the land. How does the land come to be in European possession? A guide named Justin asked an unresponsive group of vacationers from Germany. A lot of violence, right, he prodded. Placards with conversation starters on the topics of civil rights festoon a patio outside the snack shop. Is all men are created equal being lived up in our country today, one reads? When will we know when it is? It continues, supplying a negative answer to the first. Books by critical race theory proponents, Ibrahim X. Kendi and Taneshi Coates, enjoy pride of place in the visitor's gift shop while the smaller farm shop store displays five titles on Jefferson's slaves and a single biography of Jefferson himself. This is depressing. Interpretive signage throughout the estate places slavery at the forefront of each historical feature by adding the word enslaved before every possible job description, often multiple times. An enslaved cook, enslaved uh, uh, postillions, Jefferson's enslaved valet, Burwell Colbert. Meanwhile, a quote-unquote trigger warning alerts sensitive visitors outside a basement room that plays a video about Sally Hemings, the mixed-race slave who many historians believe bored Jefferson six unacknowledged children. And that first appeared in a party newspaper when Jefferson was running for president. Uh, He was attacked and it was said that he had had children uh, with a slave. And of course, that seems to be the view of most people. I have no idea. There's been, I've, I've tried to figure this out and I read all these stories. It's quite possible. The presentation covers difficult subject matter and can inspire strong emotions. This is a quote. We encourage you to respect the feelings of your fellow guests, the signage reads. Indeed, the story of Hemings is told in more detail and with far greater sympathy than that of the third president himself. Guides launch into Hemings' biography on the slightest pretext. And during the post-tour, a description of an interior archway in the library, as well as a comment on Jefferson's love of French cuisine in the dining room, gave Woodward openings to expound on what little is known of Hemings' life. The entire focus was on his mistress, complained Wesley Stevens of Tulsa, Oklahoma. They're trying to rewrite history to make it seem like the founding fathers were terrible, immoral creatures 
that happened to start a country. I don't know. I wish they'd spend a little bit more time on what Tara Reid had to say about Joe Biden, but that's a whole other story. The Thomas Jefferson Foundation is run by a roster of big-money Democratic donors and former Democratic officials. Chair Melody Barnes, a former assistant to President Barack Obama and director of the White House Domestic Policy Council. Quote, I grew up in Virginia where Jefferson was always and only celebrated, she griped in a 2018 Washington Post op-ed. Foundation President Leslie Green Bowman, who was appointed to the Committee for the Preservation of the White House by President Bill Clinton. Bowman in 2021 decried, quote, the flaws in Jefferson's promise of liberty that haunt us to this day. Vice Chair Tobias Dengel, the CEO of Virginia Tech Company, who lists his pronouns in his linked bio, donated 75000 to Biden's super PAC and other Democratic campaigns in 2020. You can see the Democrats have taken it over. Secretary Molly Hardy, another major Dem donor, gave more than 50000 to the DNC and Hillary Clinton's PAC in 2016. Board member Renee Grisham, wife of best-selling novelist John Grisham, huge lip, won an appointment to a state foundation from Virginia's former Democratic governor, Terry McAuliffe. Monticello's push to, quote, finish the restoration of the landscape of slavery, unquote, on the estate has largely been funded by left-leaning philanthropist David M. Rubenstein. His name is everywhere. This guy's a billionaire who fancies himself somebody who's protecting our history, who donated $20 million toward that effort in 2015. Good job, Dave. Rubenstein is a private equity billionaire, former Carter administration official, recently pledged to continue his extensive investments in China. Is on the boards of Globalist World Economic Forum, China's Xinjiang University, and the Council on Foreign Relations, among others. In the long term, China has a very bright outlook. It has a large population, very hardworking people, well-educated, and so forth, Rubenstein said. In May. There they are, trashing, tr- trashing Jefferson. And he's praising, and he's praising the communist Chinese. He's hailed the country's government, and it's, quote, pretty good handle, unquote, on the economy. But in Virginia, George Allen, the state's former GOP governor and U.S. senator, blasted Monticello's new focus on, quote, contemporary politicization of a beautiful historic property, unquote, He said, some of this to me just distracts from how people can be inspired and understand Jefferson and his time and how brilliant he was, how creative he was, his innovations, how ahead of a time he was, Allen said. Douglas McKinnon, author of The 56, Liberty Lessons from Those Who Risked All to Sign the Declaration, agreed. It's very problematic to look at 1776 and Thomas Jefferson through the prism of 2022. You can't go back 250 years to know what was in their hearts at that time. Jefferson was the ultimate founding father of our nation. His name should not be diminished because of our political disagreements. It's not just going back 250 years. It's the Democrats. They wanted to serve on this board in order to destroy this institution. That's what they did. And they destroyed Monticello. Just as... Fred Ryan, the chairman of the Washington Post, is now destroying the Reagan Library. 
It's really unbelievable. It's really grotesque. What do they ever say about Franklin Roosevelt memorials? Woodrow Wilson memorials. You ever wonder about that? Why is it that every relatively modern Democrat is either praised or ignored if they don't deserve to be praised, right? The Democrat Party was the party of uh, slavery and segregation. Now it's the party of Marxism. Never the party of Americanism. But when you have on a board here, this is purposeful, the Thomas Jefferson Foundation, former Obama and Clinton people, very wealthy, very radical, trying to change the entire message. They're hiring radicals as, as guides. And I, I'm looking at the photographs in this New York Post story. It's unbelievable. And in uh, the photos... Good God here, it's just uh, the life of Sally Hemings. You've got, uh, let's see here, this this massive painting, it's with, I can't tell, it's, uh, it's, a, it's blackface, is what it is. Titus Kaphar's painting is meant to be provocative to view, oh, I guess so. Um... And there's other pictures. Travelers are first greeted by a painting of Thomas Jefferson's weeping slaves in the visitor center. There's an entire download for free today to listen. Slavery at Monticello. Jeez, I tell you, I'm just telling you, this is supposed to be promoting Jefferson. Um, so they've, they've destroyed it. I mean, the only way to get it back is to change the board, however you do that. It's like the Reagan Library. The only way to get it back is to change the board, but the chairman has control over the thing now that the Reagans have passed away. And, of course, the diabolical effort behind this. Why would you have books by critical race theory proponents, Ibram X. Kendi and Coates? Two radicals who keep pushing the racist agenda. Well, that's why. Because they keep pushing the racist agenda. You know, we're one generation away from not knowing our history. One generation away from not knowing our history. Whether it's in our classrooms or whether it's at our monuments, our national parks, it's incredible. And it's been done, I know the buildup has taken years, but it's been the last 24 to 36 months... It's really been a sprint to the finish line for the left. They see opportunities and they run for it. As I started out the show, this is why they cannot oblige a functioning Supreme Court that does not hand them what they want. And the war on the Supreme Court now is like the rest of the war on the American culture. It's horrendous. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. 
So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. I watched part of this hearing today, this January 6th committee. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've watched the other hearings, at least in part, this one took the cake. This one saw the members of this committee flailing around trying to figure out how to tie untieable knots together, how to connect dots that don't exist, absolutely flailing around, despite controlling this entire process from soup to nuts. You didn't learn a thing today. Now you had witnesses and videos and texts that people find very, very fascinating, very interesting. But this is an investigation of Donald Trump. This is an investigation of January 6th. It's like I've said from day one. It's like having a handful of prosecutors, all of whom are utterly incompetent boobs. And that's it. Run by Democrats. Trump did not seize voting machines. Trump did not seize drop boxes. Trump did not seize ballots, despite who suggested what to him. He did not use the military. He did not use the Department of HH, uh, Department of uh, Homeland Security. Didn't use the FBI. Didn't, didn't call on any law enforcement. He didn't interfere with the transition in every single department. He assisted and authorized the transition. He did not call for a violent riot. That's what we learned today. The utterly pathetic and specious efforts to tie him to the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and to the violence that took place was pathetic. Come to Washington, we'll have a wild time. He said months before. They talk about some of his tweets, which were not provocative. A tweet that he never even posted they talk about. That was written by somebody else. Now they believe in the Oath Keepers. You have an Oath Keeper spokesman who testified today. He wouldn't have come to Washington but for the fact that he listened to what Trump said, you know. Now this guy was arrested. He's pled. He hasn't been sentenced yet. And he blames Trump. Pathetic. You had an anonymous witness. 
One employee worked for Twitter. How many employees do they have? Four billion? I don't know. And what was his testimony? His testimony was that it was clear that Trump was calling out extremist groups on Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, we all have access to Twitter. We all have access to the social media. What's with the anonymous testimony? They talk about the debate. I think it was September 29th. When Trump said to the Proud Boys, something to the effect, they say, stand down, the time will come. Now, the whole world heard that. It wasn't exactly what he said, but I'm close enough. The whole world heard that. It didn't mean anything. Then they go back to some tweet on September 9th or September 11th. I thought we were talking about January 6th. They have no substantive evidence whatsoever tying Trump to the Proud Boys, to the Oath Keepers, to violence that day on Capitol Hill. Nothing. Nothing. Zero. They have no evidence whatsoever that Trump interfered with. Interfered with Congress voting that day. Now they have information that Trump and his campaign and his lawyers were trying to work the, the state legislatures. That's constitutional. That's permitted under our system. That's Article 2. Section 1, Clause 2. That's permissible. And he's not the only president or candidate to have done that. And they brought 60 lawsuits and none of them succeeded. Excuse me. I don't even know what that means. They brought 60 lawsuits and none of them succeeded. The problem is not the lawsuits, but there are state legislatures under the federal constitution, not state courts, state legislatures who have the final say. And that case has now been teed up by North Carolina for the next term of the Supreme Court. And if the Supreme Court is consistent with Bush versus Gore, consistent the Bushies with what they did in 2000 where the Republican state legislature in Florida met and decided it would select the electors because of the rogue state Supreme Court in Florida then the North Carolina Republican legislature should win as they should have won in Pennsylvania the Republican state legislature and every other Republican legislature Now they're under attack. Now they're being subpoenaed. I've never seen such a crap hearing in my life. A completely crap operation. A joke. With 11 former federal prosecutors, two of whom are apparently former U.S. attorneys, working on this. It really is sort of a Stalinist clown show. I'm watching this. And now we have, what's the big news here? All the legal and constitutional illiterate reporters. What's the big news here? Cheney says President Trump tried to call a witness after last hearing. Now, number one, we all know Liz Cheney is a serial liar. She's lied about Republican colleagues. She lied about Hutchison. She is a liar. That much we know. 
And lucky her, she's not under oath. And lucky her, we don't see her texts and emails. She's a disgusting disgrace. But she's the best they have because she's the Cheney's daughter. And here it is, Rebecca Shabad, NBC News, ranking member, Lieutenant, excuse me, Liz Cheney, said at the end of her closing statement that former President Donald Trump, quote, tried to call a witness in our investigation, unquote, following the committee's last hearing, which was June 20. They've had a thousand witnesses. So what if he tried to call? This isn't a court of law. This is a hearing process, I thought. It's allowed to call whomever he wishes. That person declined to answer or respond to President Trump's call and instead alerted their lawyer to the call. Their lawyer alerted us, and this committee has supplied that information to the Department of Justice. For what? Let me say one more time, she said. We will take any efforts to influence witness testimony very seriously. What about your own, Cheney? What about your own? Unbelievable. And then Raskin, a Marxist whose father was a Marxist, tight with the old Soviets. Oh, yeah, it's true. American carnage is Donald Trump's true legacy. Ladies and gentlemen, what kind of hearing is this? The Watergate break-in was like a Cub Scout meeting compared to this assault on our people and institutions, Raskin says. What kind of a hearing is this? The Capitol police officer injured on January 6th, forced to leave the department. It's horrible what happened to him. But what does that have to do with Trump? There's no direct connection. There's no tie. I'm waiting all day. Go ahead. Give it to us. Give it to us. Let's see the text. Let's see the email. Let's see the firsthand testimony. Nothing. Not by Trump's former staff, not by his former lawyers, not by anybody. Wow. And then there was a December 19th meeting. It was apparently quite a brouhaha in that room. They had, uh, what's your name, Sidney Powell, Mike Flynn, somebody else. They had... Uh, some of the president's lawyers from the counsel's office, including the White House counsel, and it was a real knockdown, dragout fight. Knockdown, dragout fight. The president was urged to take, we're told, drastic actions, including grabbing voting machines by uh, the outsiders, Sidney Powell. And I haven't heard this from hers. I haven't talked talked to her in years, so I don't know. Or Flynn or anybody else. But I don't doubt the testimony. Cipollone, Hirschman, so forth. Wow. Crazy. And what did the President of the United States do after that meeting? December 19th. December 20th, 21st, 22nd, right up to and including January 6th, what did he do? Did he direct the military to grab voting machines? No. Did he direct the Department of Homeland Security to grab voting machines? No. 
Did he direct anybody to grab voting machines? No. So what's the problem? What is the issue here? I thought this was a hearing on January. What is the issue here? What was the whole point of today's hearing, ladies and gentlemen? It's the point of the prior hearings. Smear job. Smear job. And they are desperate to get Trump indicted. I will tell you this. Should this Biden administration, while it passes on indicting people who deserve to be indicted, including the president's son, perhaps his brother, won't even investigate them in Congress, Should this administration indict the former president of the United States, it will be the gravest act you talk about of insurrection, of tyranny that this nation has ever faced since the Civil War. And I don't think the country will ever recover from it. They're trying to tear this guy Trump down. He was to have a rally on Friday. Now a a yokel judge in New York has insisted that he and his son and others testify in a matter involving the valuation of property in New York, the assessed valuation and the appraised valuation. Anything. Everything. It never ends. I'm not a special pleader for the president, President Trump. I'm a, sp- a special pleader for liberty, the rule of law, and the Constitution. I don't go with the flow. I go with the truth. I go with the truth. This committee is antithetical to our legal and constitutional systems. It is doing grave damage to this country, as are the media clowns and fools, which is why you hate them, which is why they, their rating is the second lowest next to Congress. Mark Levin. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. You're listening to the best. Of Mark Levin. The Senate Judiciary Committee held a hearing. Quite remarkable, some of the stuff that came out of this committee. They had, among others, UC Berkeley law professor Kira Bridges, who is a radical leftist. And uh, you wonder why so many law students and then lawyers are nuts. That's why. I know, I had to deal with a lot of these professors. you got to go against the stream. you got to fight them. Senator Maisie Hirono is a complete reprobate, malcontent, and miscreant all in one. 
She hates America. She hates America. I'm going to prove it to you. Here she is at the hearing today. was on C-SPAN. Post-America, Roe versus Wade. That was the hearing. Post-America, Roe versus Wade. Cut to go. Professor Bridges, you noted that Justice Alito chose 1868 as the historical basis for his decision in overturning Roe. And I agree with you. What is so special about 1868? And not only that, with uh, the attitude or the approach of originalism, they, uh, the justices who take that approach go all the way back to our founding fathers and pretend that they know what our founding fathers meant when they drafted the Constitution. I use the word pretend because who the heck would, should, would, would know what our founding fathers meant. Um, is there any reference to AR-15 rifles in our Constitution? No. So uh, you noted that this is an outcome-based approach to our Constitution, and that is what uh, Justice Alito applies. I just wish there was some kind of IQ test before these people could take these positions in government. I really do. And I just wish these law professors weren't tenured. I really do. Yeah, one whack job talking to another whack job, in my humble opinion. Maisie Hirono really doesn't want to know what the Constitution means. She doesn't even want to give it a try. She disrespects the nation's founding. She disrespects the founders as does Kyra Bridges, in my view. So all this is for naught. But I will will answer Maisie Hirono. What does originalism mean? These people think they know what the Founding Fathers meant. Well, where the hell does abortion come from? That's not even in the Constitution. We know they didn't mean to put abortion in the Constitution because they didn't. That's an easy one. That's actually a very easy one. These are state matters. Now, how do we know it? I have no idea how much time Professor Bridges has taken, Maisie Hirono, probably none whatsoever, studying the Constitutional Convention, studying the conventions in the states, where there are documents available, because I know I've studied them in a number of these state conventions. We know a lot about what they thought. We know a lot about the context of the words that they used. And we know a lot about the environment, the circumstances that existed at the time. What bothers Maisie Hirono and Kyra Bridges is that we have a constitution. Not that it's difficult to interpret, Where there's ambiguity, there's ambiguity. But where there's ambiguity, the court doesn't step in and make the law. We know they didn't mean that. There's a lot we know about the framers of the Constitution of the United States. And it's not just the men who met in Philadelphia. It's the men who met at the conventions in the various states. In the various states, the 13 states. 
when you hear these ignoramuses go on about it was a relative handful of slave-owning men, white men, of course, white, did I say white slave-owning men who met in Philadelphia, we don't have to abide by what the hell they've said. Where the hell do you think your free speech comes from? And due process and probable cause and searches with a warrant and the takings clause and on and on and on. Where the hell do you think all these things come from? The sky? They don't have them in any other country. It's called the Bill of Rights. It was added later. You know why the Bill of Rights was added later? Anybody know? Because those states which they hate at those conventions... They had a number of amendments they wanted to add to the Constitution. And the concern was if they start the entire process all over again, they'll never come to a conclusion. So the promise was made when the first Congress meets, they will consider issues raised by the states at their conventions. There was an enormous amount of input from all over the body politic. These conventions were made up of not just state legislators, but people from the towns, people from the cities, people from the farms. They were conventions. Very quote-unquote democratic, if you will, right? And each state had their input. And there was checking and balancing and debate and back and forth, not just at the Constitutional Convention, but at all the conventions. And so in the end, it was ratified. They needed nine of the 13 states. Eventually, they got all 13. It was a big fight in New York, big fight in Virginia, big fight in Pennsylvania, even a big fight in Massachusetts, the four big states. Which is why we got the Federalist Papers. John Jay. Madison. And the bulk of it, Hamilton. And Hamilton had 500 books of the Federalist Papers published. 50 of which he sent to Virginia because Virginia was a close call. New York was a close call. And as you know, I had one of those versions that was sent to Virginia and I donated it to the Hillsdale College where it's on display. There wasn't just a handful of white slave owners who did this. And how did they come up with these brilliant ideas? They didn't have a bureaucracy. They didn't have professors whispering in their ears. There was no Karl Marx. How did they come up with these great ideas? Because they looked at ancient history and the present events that were taking place. They were a thousand times more intelligent, not necessarily by schooling, but many were, than Maisie Hirono. And they came up with a constitution that limited their own power. Whether any one of them would become president or vice president, or any one of them become a senator or a member of the House, or any one of them would become a justice to the Supreme Court, they limited their own power. They limited their own power. 
Nobody had ever seen this in the history of mankind. Just as the court in the Dobbs case limited its own power so we don't have the power to do this. We haven't seen that in decade after decade after decade. Just as Washington chose not to run for president a third time, he didn't want to be an emperor. And there were no effectively political parties when he ran. He was it. Senator Maisie Hirono wants to know how we know what those men thought who drafted the Constitution. I would suggest that Maisie walk across the Capitol grounds one day. She doesn't even need a permit. Over to a building called the Library of Congress. There's shelf after shelf after shelf of books, of manuscripts, of essays, of notes. If she's really serious about wanting to know what the framers thought, in more cases than not, the information is available for her to read. But she's a moron. She's intellectually illiterate. Professor Kyra Bridges, from what I could see, is an idiot lock. And it's not that they don't want to discern what the framers meant, that's for sure, they don't. And in some cases it's quite clear, in other cases it's a little less clear, in some cases we don't know. They don't take that approach to interpreting the Constitution. They don't want to know what the framers intended. They have no respect for them. What does Marx tell them? What do the American Marxists tell them? What did their professors tell them? The world begins today. The institutions either bend to their ends or the institutions can't be justified. They must be destroyed, either literally or through interpretation. There, Maisie, I hope I educated you. If I were on that committee, she'd be interrupting me left and right with very, very stupid comments. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Well, the figures are coming in and they demonstrate what you already know. The economy is in free fall. We have what even the media call a scorching hot inflationary period. Scorching hot. The worst inflation in 40 years. In 40 years, up 9.1% in June, even more than expected, the consumer price index. Then we're going to get the producer price index, that is the wholesale price. So-called core prices, which exclude more volatile measurements of food and energy. Most of you eat, don't you? Most of you use energy, don't you? But they like to talk about this as core Climbed 5.9% from the previous year. 
and they rose 0.7%, almost 1% on a monthly basis. Now, 0.7% on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis, is a massive increase. It's 10%, suggesting that underlying inflationary pressures remain strong and widespread. Here's a breakdown of where Americans are seeing prices rise the fastest, as they report. Energy prices rose 7.5% in June. That's month to month. 7.5% in June from the previous month. Energy prices as a whole are up 41.6% from last year. Gasoline on average costs 59.9% more than it did one year ago. 11.2% more than it did in May. The average price for a gallon of gasoline is $4.63 nationwide. Down from a high of $5.01 in mid-June. But it's a big jump from just one year ago when the average price was $3.14. And by the way, the Heritage Foundation reports that the average family income, the average family has lost $6,800 to inflation across the board. That's $6,800. The sharp rise in gas prices has become one of the most noticeable impacts of this very hot inflation on American daily lives. In all, fuel oil prices actually fell 1.2% on a monthly basis, but over the course of the year, they're still up a stunning 98.5%. Not just all energy, fuel. Up 98.5%. Natural gas prices, meanwhile, surged 8.2% in June. That's month to month. 8.2%. The largest monthly increase since October 2005. There's no need for that. We had fracking. We had natural gas coming out of our various orifices. But now, look. Electricity also increased in June, climbing month to month 1.7%. So 1.7% on a yearly basis, what is that, 20% a year? Food prices have climbed 10.4% higher over the year, 1% over the month. The largest increase stemmed from various products, May and June, dairy and related products up 1.4%. This is month to month, not year to year, in one month. Cereal up 2.5%. So just multiply them by 12 and you get a sense where we are. Poultry by 1.5%. Butter and margarine, 3.7%. In a bit of good news, prices for items that have been climbing for months, beef, veal, pork, chops, other meats, fell a bit in June from the previous month. But they remain far higher than where they were just one year ago. And unfortunately for Americans who needed to buy a car in June, the price of both new and used vehicles continue to soar. Used car and truck prices, which have been a major component of inflation increase, are still up 7.1% from the previous year. More bad news prices after briefly declining in April 
surged in June, jumping 2.2% on a monthly basis. Monthly basis. I remember when we had 1.5% inflation 20 months ago, don't you, Mr. Producer? Now we're growing every month 2.2%, 11%, 7.4%. The cost of new vehicles is up 11.4% from the prior year. On a monthly basis, the price of new vehicles jumped 0.6%. Shelter costs, costs, we call those homes, which account for roughly one-third of the consumer price index, sped up again in June, climbing 0.6%, matching the 18-year high set in May. On an annual basis, shelter costs have climbed 5.6%, the fastest in over 20 years. Rent costs have surged in June, almost 1% month-to-month, the largest monthly increase since April 1986. Rising rents are a concerning development because higher housing costs most directly and acutely affect housing budgets. What else? Home prices jumped 0.7% in June from the previous month. Perhaps most troubling, says Joe Brusellis, RSM chief economist, then the top line increases inflation inside the housing sector has resulted in a situation where costs in that sector are now up 7.3%, well above the 5.9% core inflation. These increases have created the conditions whereby it's increasingly difficult to make the case that the economy will achieve anything resembling a soft landing, given the rate increases that have taken place and those to come. Nearly everything got more expensive in June, with few exceptions. Nearly everything. Airline prices fell 0.2% in June, but the costs are up year-to-year 34.1% mostly because of fuel prices. That's the inflation side. That is unbelievable. It could have all been avoided. So I have a question for you. What exactly is the plan of the Democrats in Congress and the Democrat occupying the Oval Office to deal with any of this? They caused it. Now, what are they going to do about it? What's their plan? They have no plan. At the center of this, of course, in my view, are two things. The war on energy, which really is the basis of almost 5,000 products and so much of what goes through the economy. And the massive spending, deficit spending, which the Federal Reserve supported by monetizing it, that is, printing money. What are the Democrats going to do about this? Absolutely nothing. They could open the oil and gas picket right now. They refuse. They are not going to do it. They could allow pipelines to go forward. They refuse. In California, the governor who wants to be president now They have prohibited the building of another single gas station in the whole state. Did you know that, Mr. Producer? 
I guess he wants to impose the California system on the rest of the country, the moron. This was all man-made. And now this, Fox Business, Mark Grant, chief market strategist at Collier Securities, argues he believes the consumer price index and product price index data will be higher than the previous month. Of course, he was right. Of course, he was right. The Bank of America said, well, the headline is severe recession is needed to cool inflation. Let me tell him a little secret. We're in a severe recession. Let me tell you another little secret. The Federal Reserve is playing catch-up. Having financed the drunken Marxist spending on Capitol Hill and out of the Oval Office, and that includes rhinos. Remember the bipartisan plan? 19 Republics and the Senate voted for it, including Mitch McConnell, another trillion dollars on top of everything else. Remember that? Remember that? Oh, that shows how we can work. Mitt Romney and Robert Portman, Lindsey Graham. Oh, I remember. The nitwits from West Virginia, the Republic and the Democrat. Murkowski and Collins, of course. Oh, it was fantastic. It showed Washington can work. The goal is to make America work. Not Washington. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we have a disaster on our hands. The Federal Reserve is going to rate interest rate, raise them in a week or two by 0.75 or one full point. That is massive. On top of 0.75 raised last month. That will make borrowing almost completely out of your control, especially on credit cards and so forth. You're going to have food prices going up and up and up. You're going to have fuel prices going up and up and up. Housing prices going up and up and up. Clothing prices going up and up and up. Your salary can't possibly keep up with it. Your pension can't possibly keep up with it. Your bank interest can't possibly keep up with it. The stock market's already lost, listen to this, $15 trillion in wealth, and much of that is yours. If you have a 401k or a 403 or whatever the hell they call them, IRA, 403k, you know what's going on. You've seen it. And nobody's talking about the interest on the debt. That's going to kick in in the next budget. They've kept the interest low. But the interest on the debt is enormous, will be a big percentage of the budget in this coming budget. And even Manchin and Schumer are talking about spending another trillion dollars and raising taxes of a trillion dollars on the American worker in the American workplace. Another trillion. Another bill back better. There's COVID money that's still in the pipeline. That's not going for COVID. It's been blown. It's been wasted. Every left-wing group is fat and heavy. Every blue state is fat and heavy if they haven't squandered all their money already. They've all been bailed out by you. And this affects a lot of other things. Look at the Defense Department budget. 
What do all these vehicles and things run on? Fuel. Local police departments. They haven't budgeted for this kind of a fuel increase. Fire departments. They haven't budgeted for this kind of a fuel increase. Emergency personnel, all of them. Their budgets are completely out of sync now. School buses, for crying out loud. This has a major impact across the board. What are the Democrats doing about it? Well, in the House and in the Senate, I think they're on recess, right, Rich? Except when they have a hearing now and then. So they're focused on January 6th, chasing Donald Trump. The House of Representatives is focused on Donald Trump. What about the Senate? I don't know where the hell they are. Where are they? And Joe Biden's going over to Saudi Arabia to beg them for oil. And screwing the Israelis left and right with the Iranians. Joe Biden. If he were 35 years old, he'd be a moron. He'd be a moron. But we're all supposed to worry about Trump. Yes, peace in our time. We had peace. We had a border. We had a sound dollar. We had a strong economy, and an economy, economy that was building up again. We had record numbers of employment among all groups. And now we have crap. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best. The best of Mark Levin. In December or so, you may recall, in 2020, a bill was passed by the Republicans for about half a trillion dollars to deal with COVID. Remember that, Mr. Producer? The Democrats came into office, immediately pushed a $1.9 trillion bill, tried to follow up with a 5 to $6 trillion bill that was stopped by two votes. But lest we forget, in August of 2021, 11 short months ago, there was a bipartisan infrastructure bill that was passed for $1.2 trillion. 69 to 30 was the vote. 69 to 30. Every Democrat voted for it and 19 Republican senators. You want to know who they were? Because these senators have contributed to inflation today. Their bipartisanship has contributed to what's taking place today. Roy Blunt of Missouri. Richard Byrd, North Carolina. Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia. Susan Collins of Maine, Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, Mike Crapo of Idaho, Deb Fisher of Nebraska, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, Chuck Grassley of Iowa, John Hooven of North Dakota, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Rob Portman of Ohio, Jim Reich of Idaho, Mitt Romney of Utah, Dan Sullivan of Alaska, Tom Tillis of North Carolina, Roger Wicker of Mississippi, these 19 Republicans, even after the $1.9 trillion spending splurge, 
contributed another $1.2 trillion. One nine and one two. Three point one trillion on top of the half a trillion just months before. Three point one six trillion dollars in less than one year on top of a nearly five trillion dollar federal budget. That's why we have inflation. That's why we have inflation. And these nineteen Republicans contributed to it. It's about damn time the media in this country, when they bring them on and they're attacking the Democrats, point out who these 19 rhino cowards are playing to the media. And by the way, you're going to need a lot more than $1.2 trillion to do the work that was costing $1.2 trillion today. But of course, the main culprits, not to lose sight, obviously are the Democrats and Biden. No question about it. No question about it. They are the main culprits. And this is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Even more. Even more than the inflation rate you saw. The consumer price index. That's over 9%. Even more than that, we have the producer price index. The producer price index, which went up over 11 points, double digits. Why does the producer price index matter as we discuss every month? Those are the costs that the producers, the wholesale level, have to pay. So if they go up double digits, that means you're in for a worse ride this month and the following month. That is a big deal. Our banks are starting to have some issues because of loan problems and foreclosure issues. They're starting to have some issues. It's starting to spread. Now, Joe Biden likes to talk to employment levels. What will soon happen is people are going to be fired. You're going to have to slash costs. The biggest cost for most businesses is personnel. That's what's going to start happening. The Federal Reserve, which was caught flat-footed, is now trying to catch up. It's very likely it's going to increase interest rates in the next week or two by at least three quarters of one one point, as I mentioned, but now more likely one point, like Canada just did. And the following month, another point. I lived during the, the terrible late 70s into the early 80s, stagflation. We actually had a Federal Reserve that increased interest rates in one month. I think it was two and a half or three percent. And more than once, mortgage rates were through the roof, double-digit. So nobody could borrow money effectively. And if you were living off credit cards, you were paying interest rates 25 30%. This could all have been avoided. J.P. Morgan Chase 
if not our biggest bank, certainly one of them. Their earnings fell 28%. 28%. Bank of America has slashed the S&P 500 target another 5%. These things are happening and they're real. Now, you look at the cost of energy. We get into this debate and talk about generalities. But I dug in and I dug in hard and looked at the specifics. You're not going to want to miss it on Life, Liberty, and Levin Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Because that's part of what I'm getting into. The Republican Study Committee has put together 81 81 policies that Biden and the Democrats and his bureaucracy put in place or are going to put in place that have driven up the cost of gasoline and oil and electricity, that have stretched the supply, that have turned us into a net importer of energy rather than a net exporter of energy. And once you go through this list, which is on the Internet, we even look at the basic issues that have been provided that, they, that Biden did through executive orders, you will see that this entire degrowth movement that I've been telling you about, that I've been writing about, that I talk about in American Marxism, that I talk about in at least two other books, that was given birth in the 1970s by European Marxists, professors, think tanks, activists, including American activists. plan was hatched right there. You can see now, just as you could see critical race theory in our corporations and in the classrooms and in the government, just as you can see this trans movement not about individual trans rights, the trans movement. Now you can see the impact on society generally and what it's doing to our country. Now, what are the Democrats going to do about it? What is Biden going to do about it? They can't do anything about it. They created this situation, they did it intentionally. They have sabotaged our economic system. They have sabotaged our economy. They have sabotaged our industries. The energy industry is what they've always wanted to destroy. To attack the industrialized heart of this country. Why? Degrowth movement. Degrowth movement. That's what it is. Keep that in your minds. It's not a green movement. It's not a clean air movement. It's not a clean water movement. It is an attack on American prosperity and capitalism. It is a degrowth movement. And the Federal Reserve now is advancing a policy to shrink the economy, to create less growth in the economy because of the fiscal spending 
of the Democrats and some of the rhinos. And its failure in the past to use monetary policy to ensure that we have sound money. Instead, as I've said, the Federal Reserve is the drug pusher for the drug addicts on Capitol Hill. Fiscal policy has been destroyed. Monetary policy has been destroyed. And you're caught in the middle. Do not let people get away with finger pointing. Whether it's Putin or Big Oil or Big Farm or Big Meat or Big Pharma or whatever it is. You're going to point at every single business, every single industry, every single industrial sector as conspiring against their own customers? No. It's the failed ruling class. The failed ruling class that fails to protect us in the cities from murders and rapists elsewhere in the suburbs. It's the failed ruling class that fails to secure the southern border with people pouring into this country, including people who rape 10-year-olds and 5-year-olds. By the way, not that we don't have scum of our own that do it, but my point is people who are treated this way by illegal aliens in those specific cases, they wouldn't be treated that way because there would be none. These same people who are destroying our constitutional construct, destroying the independence of our judicial system, threatening justices, demanding that we kill the lives of babies one second before they're born, cannot say they're opposed to infanticide because they embrace it and support it. These people can't fix what they support. They drove up the price of gasoline to punish you. They're attacking single-family homes now to punish you. That's the Democrat Party, America. The Democrat Party is an alien party. It's not like an American party. It's never embraced Americanism. Not from its founding. It's founding to today. Now these interest rates obviously are incredibly destructive. They weaken the value of the dollar. You know, just to put a fine point on it, we were being told by Bernie Sanders, how come we don't hear from Bernie Sanders anymore? We hear from Elizabeth Warren who wants to shut down every pregnancy center in America. She is a sick bastard. Absolute sick bastard. But we don't hear from Bernie Sanders. Why is that? Did Nancy Pelosi speak to over 11% PPI? Over 9% CPI? All figment of everybody's imagination. Oh, those are old, old statistics. Oh, yeah, two weeks old. Very old. We have people who are ruling this country in the Democrat Party who don't know what the hell to do about this. 